Welcome to the Texans! And again, watching his skates. Over the middle, it's cut! Akins, and the tight end rumbles in for the touchdown! Here's Watson now, blockers in front, lowers the shoulder and in! And welcome into another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Texans straight from the Great British Isles. This is our fourth and final week at the Texans draft this week, and delighted again to be joined by one of Houston's finest, Jason Braddock, from the late hits ESPN 97.5. Jason, how are you surviving? Uh, man, doing pretty well. Life's a little different for all of us now, but I mean, you just keep finding something positive to focus on keep your head down and do what we're supposed to do and we'll be back to life as somewhere similar to what we know it as yeah i hope so i think it's i think the draft's coming for everybody at a good good time a bit of normality i think for everybody concerned i think stuck indoors and the world of sport and the world as you know it's come to a bit of a, a, a standstill so looking forward to it anyway um but before we get to that we're just over a week away now um the Texans have got one less pick than they did this time last week uh, as they shipped out the 57th overall uh, to the LA Rams for wide receiver Brandon Cooks. What did you make of it? Uh, listen, Brandon Cooks is a capable receiver, but there's a lot that's involved in this that, that really weighs down the value of the trade for the Houston Texans. Uh, did they get a good player? Did they uh, get a player that can help take up some of the volume they lost by losing DeAndre Hopkins? Absolutely, yes. But Brandon Cooks is also 26 years old and has five concussion. He weighs under 190 pounds, so the hits are going to keep coming. <clears throat> I understand what Bill O'Brien is trying to do. When you try to replace a superstar like DeAndre Hopkins, you can't just go out there on the market and just pick up uh, another guy like DeAndre Hopkins. So it really points to why they shouldn't have traded DeAndre Hopkins. But, uh, you know, you have to sleep in the bed as you made it. And that's what the Houston Texans are trying to do. My biggest issue with this is that they traded DeAndre Hopkins and then they knew they were going to need to replace him before the draft. The reason so with the current climate of COVID-19, uh, the global pandemic, everything that's going on, these players, these rookies that come in, they're probably not going to have the hands-on training, the experience. It could even be a, a shortened NFL season. So you need players that are vets that can get up to speed quickly. And so I can understand them saying, hey, we need to go get another vet wide receiver. The issue is for up to 10 days after they traded DeAndre Hopkins, there was a guy who was a free agent, Robbie Anderson, 6'3", runs the same 40 time, has Brandon Cooks, 4'3", 4, 4, where Brandon Cooks is 5'10". He ran a 4'3", 3, 3, 40. So you could have got the same speed. He's owed over the next two years because – 10 days after they traded DeAndre Hopkins, he signed with the Carolina Panthers in free agency, and he's over he's owed $20 million over the next two years. Brandon Cooks has owed $20 million over the next two years. The problem here is that you could have just, after trading DeAndre Hopkins, went to Robbie Anderson, forced that deal, even if you had to pay him a little bit more, another million, two million a year, whatever it would take to get the deal done, you could have held on to that second-round pick. 
a valuable commodity. Instead, you gave up that second round pick to get a player that you're paying the same as the Panthers are playing Robbie Anderson and has the same speed that could uh, fit into the offense have as they have currently planned. So that's why I didn't like the Brandon Cooks trade. It seems a bit odd, I think, for the the fact that you think of a top three receiver like Hopkins in the trade market because of the contract and how much we read into that, I don't know. But I just can't believe that Bill wouldn't have taken a better offer if it had been there. And, and you know, and as counterintuitive as it seems like that, you know, a top three receiver in the league doesn't necessarily have a trade market at that time. But I think the, the answer is if, it, if there isn't a the market there, don't do anything. Um, and I think we'll probably live to regret that. The Robbie Anderson one was interesting. Didn't quite see the market that he thought he maybe would. Um, and then he's got a connection there, obviously, where Matt Rule brings him in uh, in Carolina. But, yeah, a good player, I think, to, to, to stretch the field, like you said. And, um, yeah, one pick less. And if you, if you see the list of all the picks that we would have had or we, we have possessed at some point and traded out, the draft capital um, is a bit uh, reduced that this year and it will be even more so reduced next year so looking towards this draft Jason what do you think the Texans strategy is going to be in terms of uh, maybe positions but then also waiting to see uh, how the board falls into day two yeah I mean it's an excellent question I think we've already seen a little bit of a peek behind the curtain on what a Bill O'Brien led draft would look like and that's that he doesn't value picks as much as he values players. I mean, you look at the, where the Texans should have had picks this year, and you could really say their first-round pick for this year is Laramie Tunsil. Their second-round pick this year is Brandon Cooks. The third-round pick this year is Garyon Conley. Fourth-round pick, David Johnson. And uh, so sixth-round pick, Kean Carlson. So Bill O'Brien has, I think we've seen that peek behind the curtain of what a Bill O'Brien draft looks like. And what it looks like is that he wants a known commodity over the the risk of developing a young player. The problem with that is that you're going to have to pay Deshaun Watson. You're going to have to pay Laramie Tunsil. And the money is going to dry up so quick for the Houston Texans over the coming years. And you've already sold off premium players that you had to use first round picks on in DeAndre Hopkins, Dwayne Brown, uh, Jadavion Clowney. You develop these guys, you bring them in for cheap. And then when they start getting to the peak of their career, Bill O'Brien's selling them off for pennies on the dollars. Then he's going out and signing vets that already have made contracts that eat more into the salary cap. Also, we go back over a couple months ago, they fired their cap guy, Chris Olsen, one of the most respected in the industry. So who's handling the cap right now? I think it's setting up for a world of pain in the years to come for Bill O'Brien with this regime of him controlling all the power. Yeah, I think you're right in terms of that. It seems like a storm that, you know, it's, it's obviously a storm brewing, but then at the same time, you've got a, a case of, you know, cheap rookie wage scale contracts that they're not going to be able to balance out the quality on the roster. And that's got to be a concern. We might not feel it this season, might not even be 2021, but you think by the time 22 rolls around, uh, this team potentially from a talent standpoint and depth of roster um, might not necessarily be there. I think you could. I mean, you've got to hand it to him in some ways. I don't. I don't agree with what a lot of the stuff he's done. I don't think many people do. Um, but he's done it his way. Um, it's been more of a kind of basketball kind of model. But obviously, the big difference is there. You got fifteen men in a roster, um, not fifty-three. So it's going to be tough to 
it's going to be tough to try and find value, but that's exactly what they have to do. It is a digital draft this year, Jason, for the first time. Hopefully there's no um, errors from a Texans point of view and turning their mic off, uh, you know, being on the wrong channel at the wrong time or whatever. There's probably a myriad of stuff that could potentially go wrong operations-wise on the night. Um, do you see, you know, any issue, or do you envisage any issues? People have discussed less trades. And on the topic of trades, do you think Bill is potentially finished with maybe shipping in or out veteran players for or, or, or even picks back? No, absolutely not. I think trades are absolutely on the table with Bill O'Brien. I think we've... Uh... He comes from that Bill Belichick tree, as we all know, and Bill Belichick and Andy Reid are two of the most active head coaches that have GM-type power, if you will, that are always willing and dealing on draft day. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more players on the current roster move. Uh, Bernardrick McKinney. Here's a guy that got his big contract, his money uh, in the last couple years. And they have to pay Zach Cunningham. When you look at this, you don't want to pay Zach Cunningham and Bedardrick McKinney top of the market money at the same inside linebacker position. So you got to decide which one of these guys are in your future are in your plans for the future. Cunningham is younger. He's more athletic and he fits more in a pass first NFL league where Bernardrick McKinney 10, 20 years ago would probably be more valuable because he's bigger. He's a run stuffer. He can go on there and just clog up the middle and let everybody else make, make plays. You can't pay Bernardrick McKinney the type of money he's making when you have Zach Cunningham next to him that you're going to have to pay. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Texans trade Bernardrick McKinney during the draft to get another draft pick. And I wouldn't be surprised uh, if they trade that 40th pick because they, they have to wait for 40 picks before they make the first selection. Then they have to wait 50 more picks before they wait that, make that second selection. This is a deep wide receiver class. It's a, a deep and talented cornerback class. So two positions of needs right there. It would make sense to trade back from 40 and get as many picks in the top 100 as you can. They already have a pick at 90. They already have a pick at 111. If I'm the Houston Texans, I'm moving back from 40 and trying to pick up two more picks in the top 100 and get four picks in the top 111. And I think you can hit your cornerback there. I think you can hit another young wide receiver there. You can get your edge player, pass rusher, and a defensive lineman. And if you come out the draft with four those four positions, all with top 111 prospects, uh, I think that's a solid draft for Bill O'Brien, combined with everything else he's done bringing in the vet players. Be interesting to see if there is a market for BMAC because he's he's more of the sort of downhill run stuffer, two right. down, possibly three down player, a second round pick a couple of years ago, sizable contract. Do you think that that will command much of a pick, maybe a third? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to get uh, a ton because they're going to have to take on that contract, but he's a talented player. I mean, there's still a need for him, and he could be the type of player that some other team uh, d desires. Now, because of the contract that you mentioned, you're not going to get a uh, first or second round. It gets interesting when you start, like you mentioned, third round or even fourth round. And like I said, the for the Texans, the sweet spot in this draft is pick 50 through 90 and if you can accumulate extra picks between 50 and 90 whether you're trading back from 40 whether you're trading a player on your roster then it's absolutely something you have to do 
Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see if B Mac is moved because just your mind cast back to the the D'Amico Ryan goes out the door for a third round pick. They thought Cushion was the future. Got a couple of injuries, weren't quite the same I, at inside I have linebacker. Some, I have some interesting trivia for you. I always like to throw this out there. You mentioned the D'Amico Ryan's trade. Uh he was traded uh with a pick for two other picks to the Philadelphia Eagles. Do you realize who the two Texans pick turned into in that trade and who the Eagles pick turned turned into on that trade? Uh, ben Jones, Brandon Brooks. Awesome. You nailed it. Yeah. So <laughs> the Texans picks were Brandon Brooks and Ben Jones. The Eagles had D'Amico Ryans, and they got a third-round pick. They used on quarterback Super Bowl champ Nick Foles. And oddly enough, three of those players ended playing for the Philadelphia Eagles and Brandon Brooks, D'Amico Ryans, and Nick Foles. Yeah. There you go. I think D'Amico was a, a when he when he left was a bit of a, a shell shock, wasn't it? I think so. I mean, it, and it could be the same for uh, BMAC as well, because I think that's got to be a consideration. He's the guy with the with the earpiece in his in his helmet, um, taking the calls and translating that and getting everybody lined up in all three levels. So, you know, do you have somebody ready to step in and take that? Is 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 that in Zach's personality? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting because that rumor has swirled around for a while, just as it has with Kiki Cutie. Um, I think he's got all the talent in the world, Jason, but he's never quite pieced it together apart from two outings against the Colts, one of which I was at. And, I, you know, and it, it just, he, he, um, when, the, when they got the first win two years ago, when the, when the, the team went 0-3 at the start of the season, he, and he looked like he had a great future in this team. But then if you look at the Baltimore take from last season, he's running the wrong routes, he's not in position, uh, and he's not getting lined up correctly. So you can see why he's frustrated, Bill. Um but I think when you're in a position where we don't have picks, just as I think Jordan Thomas comes into this um, category as well, I don't think we're in a position or, or have that luxury to walk off talent unless you can get a good return. And when Bill's involved, I don't necessarily know if he's going to get a good return or he just likes to solve the problem and move on. Well, the, the, we brought up a couple interesting things on this. Uh, first off, let's start with the wide receiver position. The Houston Texans organization has been piss poor at drafting wide receivers outside the first round. In the first round, they've hit on Andre Johnson. They've hit on DeAndre Hopkins. And then you had Will Fuller that hasn't stayed healthy in any of his four years, but the talent has been there. So you know, let's, let's be fair and say they hit on Will Fuller just based on the talent, but not with the concerns of the drops early in his career and his body frame uh, and the injury concerns when he came out in the draft. Outside of the first round, I mean, let's just stay with Bill O'Brien, Kiki Cutie, Braxton Miller, Jalen Strong. I mean, these are high-level picks, third, fourth-round picks. And they're not they're not amounting to anything. And the bigger problem is you threw Jordan Thomas in there. I actually love Jordan Thomas. I like his size, his skill set. But for whatever reason, uh, he's in Bill O'Brien's doghouse. Kiki Cutie's in Bill O'Brien's doghouse. Lewis Nix was in Bill O'Brien's doghouse. I mean, you just you just go down the list. Jadavion Clowney, DeAndre Hopkins, DJ Swearinger. Once you get in Bill O'Brien's doghouse, Bill O'Brien doesn't have a way to mask his emotions. And the, the big issue with that is when you're the head coach and the general manager and you're going and speaking with other teams trying to trade these players, he he 
can't shut up. He opens his mouth and lets them know all these flaws. And then these other GMs that are more well-equipped for these conch are these uh, negotiations on plays and acquisitions are sitting there and they'll use his own words against them. So there's no value there. There's no value for Jordan Thomas. There's no value for Kiki QT. And I know a lot of people have kicked around the idea of Kiki getting traded. And you mentioned Jordan Thomas possibly getting traded. I just don't know what a team gives up outside of a seventh round pick for either one of those guys. Cause Bill O'Brien has already killed their value and in negotiations, he can't help but kill their value even more. Yeah. I think you're right for those two guys. Thomas was what a six at Mississippi State. Kiki yep. was a fourth, but right. And if you've not shown any great tape or a great amount of tape, that value only goes down. So yeah, I think we'll struggle for that. And I, I think the value to keep them on the roster and try and develop them. But just as you touched on, Jason, with developing wide receivers, um, is not been great. And this coaching staff's not got a great track record of that. Um, and it, it, as you said, it, it stretches well beyond this coaching staff. But but it's an interesting, um, interesting one. I think you're right. There might not be that. That uh, there might not necessarily be the end of Bill's trading. I think, as you said, the 40th pick. I think the 57th pick potentially was actually a really good candidate to trade down because at least at 40 you can sit there and wait and yeah. see if somebody falls. You know, there's a guy like Zach Zach Barn from Wisconsin, outside linebacker. He's tested for a diluted sample at the combine, which has come out today. Um, so he, you know, he's a great example. You know, remember Justin Houston fell in the draft because of, you know, character concerns. So there's always guys that you could potentially pick at the top of the second round. So it will be to try and find the right balance. I think of does a guy fall um, who's unexpected to fall? You know, you saw that with uh, with with um, the guy from the, t- the right tackle from Florida last year uh, went to the uh, Jags. Jawan Taylor. Jawan yeah. Taylor. Yeah, he fell. You know, you saw that. So. You know, is there a guy like that potentially you think could fall, you know, at any position that you've, you've potentially some concerns out there for? Uh, it's an awesome question because I, I actually, uh, Gil Brandt's a guy I respect a lot, as most of us do, godfather of the NFL draft, put out his top 150 NFL prospects yesterday. And there's some I agree with, some I disagree with. Um, there's one guy that he's actually from the Houston area. Missouri City. I have a top 15 grade on him. I, I looked after I did my rankings and saw Daniel Jeremiah had had him as the 18th prospect and Gil Brandt had him as the 22nd. But there's other people that think he's available in the second and maybe even early third, third round. If he's there at 40, I think it's a home run pick. TCU defensive tackle Ross Blacklock. Uh, another guy. I called him a poor man's J.J. Watts. I have a first-round grade on him. Uh, I think he's gone in the top 25 picks, but Gil Brandt had him as the 40th best player in the draft. Uh, now, that doesn't mean he'll be there at 40, but if he is, uh, you know, if you can get a poor J, poor man's J.J. Watt to pair with J.J. Watt and let him develop with Anthony Weaver, uh, that's something I, I – it would be hard for me not to select him there at 40 and trade back. I would probably have to turn in the card, and that's A.J. Espenza. Uh, defensive lineman and uh another guy denzel mims 
wide receiver I had as a top 20 player in this draft. Uh, Gilbrandt had him as the 49th best player in the draft. 6'3", can block, can catch, can run routes. Um, I think he gets knocked because he's coming out of Baylor, and Baylor receivers typically don't do well outside of Josh Gordon. And even with Josh Gordon, you know, all the warts that come with that. But I think Denzel Mims is getting knocked because he played at Baylor. And you look at the Baylor receivers that came out, David Geddes, Kendall Wright, and even with Josh Gordon having some warts coming out of Baylor, that there's just always been heavy criticism. Terrence Williams, another guy, the Cowboys draft that came out of Baylor, and they typically don't live up to the value. Denzel Mims is a different beast. And if he's there at 40, then despite the Texans already using that second round pick to get Brandon Cooks in that uh, contract, Will Fuller's in the last year of his contract with that fifth year option. Uh, Kenny Stills, you can move on for. Brandon Cooks, you can move on from after this year. And you really only have that horrible Randall Cobb contract as a staple of your uh, offense. And you can get out of that after 2021. So they definitely still need to invest in wide receiver. I don't know if 40 would be the place I'd go go with it, but if Denzel Mims doesn't go in the first round, he's available at 40, I'd have a hard time passing on that. And then lastly, a wild card pick. My number one running back in the draft, most people have him at the bottom of their top five or not even in their top five. And I was surprised to see Gil Brandt yesterday when he released his top 150 had him as his number one running back and number 24 in the draft. If he's there at 40, for optics reason, I don't think the Texans could take him because if you trade the DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson and his massive contract and get the 40th pick in return as you're only returning and turn that around and use it on a running back, the optics aren't good for Bill O'Brien and the Texans. That being said, Jonathan Taylor, 439, monster, reminds me of Matt Forte. Uh, man, to add him to the backfield with Deshaun Watson, with uh, Duke and David Johnson, I would have a hard time passing on that as well. But again, I would say that's the lowest percent out of all of them just because of the optics. Yeah, it's interesting with David Johnson. Obviously, we're sitting here today's still not actually past these physical. So, um, right, Great point. it's uh, it's an interesting time. I don't know what the I don't know what the Texans would necessarily do or be able to command back if the um, if, if he does fail, as Hopkins, I think, yesterday um, passed his physical with Arizona or a, an independent doctor, uh, which, whichever way, um, you know, and if David Johnson was to fail, um, I don't know what the Texans would necessarily negotiate back. I think people kind of in the Texans' Twitter sphere have held out for, you know, they're hoping for the eighth, but they're certainly not going to get the eighth. It might be they get the fourth back and that'll be it, um, possibly. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe some mid-round pick this year next. So, um, you know, there may be changes as we sit right now. Um, just yeah, I think that's play. your hope. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I think the hope is that you can get, uh, if something happens with David Johnson's physical, if it doesn't get passed ahead of time, they have to renegotiate the terms. I think best case scenario, as opposed to getting that fourth round pick back, um, I think best uh, best case scenario, maybe you get that fourth back or maybe you can get a third out of them. Either case at this, at, at this point, Either situation is a win-win for the Texans because you already know the bottom worst of the deal. Uh, you're not going to expunge the deal. So you just try to get back another mid-round pick in this year's draft, and I, I think you'll take that as a win as compared to what you were looking at. 
I, 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 for the life of me, I don't understand why they wanted David Johnson back when it seemed like you know every running back that was high profile and been on a contract had be or was due to be cut, um, or teams were looking away to to uh, to get them off their books. And obviously, you've seen McCaffrey right. McCaffrey sign Inc a sixteen million APY deal with Carolina, so people are going to keep going back to the well at that position. But a guy like Jonathan Taylor, uh, Jason, what do you like about him? And what do you think is a sort of style of runner that? could fit because I think we're all still scratching our heads that um, Carlos Hyde reportedly rejected a, a, a sizable deal from the Texans and that was probably the first domino that led us <laughs> to this position. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, I wouldn't even offer a sizable deal to Carlos Hyde. Uh, it's probably the best thing that could happen. Well, I don't know if I can say that because it may be a Johnson deal doesn't happen but I, I love David Johnson coming out in the draft and I, I feel bad for the guy that he's getting banged up so I do want to clarify David Johnson was a supreme talent a couple years ago the injury just piled up he's 28 years old and he just happens to be the guy coming back in return for a top three wide receiver in the NFL so it's more of him being included in the hops deal than the knock on him if he could be David Johnson from 2016 uh, and his contract wasn't so elaborate, I don't think people have the outrage or the issues with this. Uh, the problem being that now you have that that contract and everybody knows the Arizona Cardinals like, man, listen, if we can trade this guy, you know, we'll even pay some of the salary. Sort of like what the Texans did with Jadavion Clowney. So I don't understand how the Texans trade Jadavion Clowney and eat like seven million of the salary, then trade DeAndre Hopkins and don't the Cardinals don't have to eat any of David Johnson's salary. So I mean it's it's the worst case scenario every time Trader Bill goes to market. Uh now to get back to the point about what I like so much about Jonathan Taylor, uh well the knock on him and why he could possibly be there at 40 is because of all the tread off of the tire in college. They used him a lot. That doesn't scare me as much. You'd get him for if you get him there at 40 you're getting them under a rookie wage for four years at a second round pick. You're not paying a lot of money and you've got them for four years. And if you use them and he's what I think he will be for, for four years and then he, he doesn't have the tread left in the tire, you go back to the well and get another running back. It's a no brainer. You don't have to give them that second contract. But as far as what I love about him, he's a faster Matt Forte to me. So think about Matt Forte and those Chicago Bears offense and how dynamic he was. Put him behind Deshaun Watson with these uh this these receiving threats. And as much as I don't like the receivers, it's more to do with the injury risk. Will Fuller's been hurt four out of four years. Brandon Cooks has five concussions, including two bad ones last year. Um, and then you got Randall Cobb, who's been banged up for the last couple of years for, for a lot of his um a lot of his play. That's three of your top four receivers. That being said, on paper, it's pretty nice. You've got three, four, three guys. Um, albeit it was ran at the combine years back, but it just puts uh, an idea out there of the type of speed they're dealing with. Will Fuller, four, three, two. Brandon Cooks, four, three, three. Kenny Stills, four, three, eight. And even your slot receiver, Randall Cobb, ran a four, four, six years ago at his combine. So you have. While it's probably not going to be the greatest show on turf with Kurt Warner and Isaac Bruce and Isaac Bruce, Oz Hakeem and Tory Holt, uh, it's probably going to look like, and I wrote about this on sportsmap.com uh, yesterday, 
talking about what the Texans offense could look like in 2020. And I think it's going to look a lot like LSU. LSU, uh, Joe Brady spent time with the Saints, bounced around, went, and uh, LSU reached out to him to really build their offense for Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow made an astronomical leap, throwing 60 touchdowns, only six interceptions, and 5,000 passing yards on his way to probably being the number one pick, winning the Heisman, and a national championship. Since then, Joe Brady has left college and LSU to become the offensive coordinators for Matt Rule's Carolina Panthers team, who not coincidentally signed Robbie Anderson, who we were discussing earlier. And we're looking back at those 40 times, DJ Moore, 4-4-2, Curtis Samuel, 4-3-1, Robbie uh, Anderson, 4-3-4. It's a similar makeup. Christian McCaffrey, albeit he's a much better receiving and running back than David Johnson is today. A couple years ago, they had similar skill sets. So I see what I believe in a copycat league is going to be the Texans and Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien implementing an offense similar to what Joe Brady will put into place for the Carolina Panthers, which is where you pass to set up the run, a complete 180 from the Kubiak days where you ran to set up the pass. You put your playmakers in space. You run a West Coast offense with some RPO looks some run pass options with Deshaun Watson, and it's going to be high octane. Yeah, I think so. And I think you're right. There's obviously this, you know, still you've got questions about Fuller. I think it would be, you know, you hope he stays healthy. And if he does stay healthy, he might command a salary that we uh, that we can't afford to, to fit under the cap with the other extensions limit. So there is probably going to be some turnover at that position. Is there any other, um, beyond Denzel Mims we touched on earlier, is there any other guys you think, you know, maybe mid or even late rounds that, that the Texans could p- potentially pick up as guys that can, can sit? Um and you know, and in, in, in a year's time, be ready to contribute in a big way. Oh man, this wide receiver class is silly deep. You've got Brian Edwards. If you're looking for the bigger monster type wide receivers to get that big body, because the Texans out of their top four receivers, none of them are over six foot. Actually, as we sit today, David Johnson at six one two twenty four is the Texans' biggest receiver. So. If they want to find that prototypical big body number one type, you've got Brian Edwards from South Carolina that could be available late second, third round. I ha- I actually have a high second round grade on him, but most people think he goes in the third round. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., Vincent Jackson type, and Brian Edwards, I know a lot of people like comparison sakes. Brian Edwards actually reminds me of a guy Bill O'Brien coached at Penn State and uh, had a top 15 grade on him in the draft, and he didn't get selected till late in the second round. Allen Robinson from Penn State is a guy Brian Edwards kind of reminds me of. For a bigger body guy, he can do matrix moves off the line, if you will, to avoid press, go up high point, uh, tough to bring down. Michael Pittman Jr. reminds me of a Vincent Jackson type, bigger body guy, uh, physical guy, he's going to go off in the second round as well. So another reason why it would make sense to trade back from 40, if you could, uh, to pick up one of these guys like a Brian Edwards or a Michael Pittman Jr. If you want to stay with the speedster threat, Jalen Rieger from TCU uh, tracks the ball well, blazing speed like the rest of the guys in the group. I just I would prefer to see the Texans go with that bigger body. And the guy that's probably going to be available third, maybe even fourth round that I really like the more I watch him is Tyler Johnson from Minnesota. Yeah, 
I've read a couple of places they see him more being a, a kind of a kind of you know between the hashes across the field kind of catcher. Do you think yes. he's got the you think he's got the structure to be on the outside, or you see him be more of a no? I think I think you're exactly right. To me, I think Tyler Johnson, when I look at him, is a guy that's going to fall in the draft uh, a little bit, not because of his style of uh, his skill set, but because of his style of play. To me, Tyler Johnson reminds me of a Jarvis Landry type. It's not going to time well at the combine and uh, run the fastest 40 or any of that, but uh, he's a playmaker. Uh, I I like getting the ball in his hand. I actually have a third-round grade, and my comp on him was uh, Jarvis Landry. So you remember I had a first-round grade on Jarvis Landry. You remember he went late in the second round as well because of his 40 time. So I think Tyler Johnson's skill set – as a more of a third round, but he could actually go as late as the fourth and maybe even fifth round. And I, I think he's going to be an NFL stud. I think Jason, obviously it was probably a bit head scratching that, you know, despite the signing of Timmy Jernigan, like a bit later in the process, Texas mm-hmm. really needed to add to this, you know, which is their biggest weakness, but it's a combination of the two of pass coverage and, and pass rush. Um, and, in this, uh, in this draft, we kind of touched on Epinesa and Blacklock. On um, Epinesa, um, there's kind of criticism that he's just a kid, he's a bit of an all-round athlete, but doesn't necessarily play up to his, his frame and size. Do you, do you see something different when you watch the tape on the guy from Iowa? Uh, from Iowa, AJ Spencer? Yeah, I see yeah. a guy that's just uh, high. I mean, I, I call him a po- uh, poor man's J.J. Watt. And the reason... I do so is because you see the effort, you see the uh, the drive, the going all out. I mean, he he just reminds me of with his mannerisms and his movement skills, just of a guy that is you you're not going to hold him off forever. So even if he's not the guy that's going to be the fastest to the quarterback, it reminds me of JJ Watt to where you're just not going to um, you're just not going to to stop his first move and then that's it. He's going to sit, sit around watching. He's going to keep getting there. He, he's he got a um, nice get off, gets quick off the line. Uh, he can line up on the interior, the outside. He's got the ability to one gap or two gap, plays with great leverage and can long arm with the best. And for the listeners, what long arm is, is where you take that inside arm uh, to the offensive tackle and just stretch him all the way out. So it creates all this reach to where he can't get his arms into your body. You drive him back into the lap of the quarterback, or you can just toss him off. He has a great uh, long arm formation, and he's a force to block. Uh, offensive linemen have an extremely hard time trying to anchor against him. A lot of that has to do with a 6'5", 275-pound build with 34-and-a-half-inch arms. Yeah, I was reading your article on, on uh, sportsmap.com and anybody that's not uh, checked out any of Jason's work, I urge you to get over there. Some really good stuff on the draft. And actually a couple of guys, Jason, you'd outlined three all from the state of Florida, just below the, the top tier of guys. Obviously, Clavon Chaseon from LSU, you've got to assume he's probably going to be off the board um, by the time the Texas pick rolls around if they do stay at 40. But you've got Jonathan Greenard as Zabari Zunga and uh, Jonathan Garvin from uh, Florida and then also uh, Miami, Florida as well. What do you think of those guys? Because you've probably got them, Jason, for, based on my research this off season, a bit higher than most people do. 
Yeah, I think uh, for the two Florida guys, most people typically have them in the third round. I have them both in the second round. And the Miami kid, I was surprised to find out most people have him like on day three of the draft, round five, six, and even seventh round I've seen him in. And for me, I have him in the second round. As far as Greener, let's start there. Jonathan Greener, 6'3", 263, 4'8", so good speed for that size. Uh, I mean, well, not, not great speed, but capable speed speed at the NFL level, almost 35 inch arms, 34 and seven inch arms. He reminds me of Shaq Lawson coming out of Clemson. So he's going to uh, play with leverage. He's got great pursuit. He's got this spin move. I, I don't like it's going to need work or he's either going to have to trash it. But with Jonathan Greenard, you're looking at a guy like a Shaq Lawson who just left the bills and free agency. I believe this time with uh, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, moving on, I think uh, the next one we'll go to is the other Florida guy where you're talking about Jabari Zunga. He is quick. He's fast. He does. His arms are two inches shorter than his teammate Greenard, but at 6'3", 264, he's running a 4'6", 440 with almost 33-inch arms, which is still long enough. I like to see uh, guys on the defensive line 34-plus inches, and if you can get an edge guy with 34-inch or longer arms, uh, that's always great to see as well. He's fast. He's explosive. He engages with leverage, and he's got a great long arm as well, but I just love how quick, twitchy, fast he is he's going to be hard for uh your bigger body offensive tackles to just really stay and mirror with and then lastly go ahead go ahead oh yeah i was just going to say lastly the guy that uh you were mentioning that i was probably the biggest disconnect with with uh most of people evaluating on twitter and the media is jonathan garvin another guy from the state of florida played at miami Similar size to the other two, 6'4", 263, 4'8", 240. And at 6'4", 263, he had a 36-inch vertical. So it speaks to the athleticism there. And again, going back to the arm length, 34-inch arm. So to see that as an edge guy on the outside that could give offensive tackles uh, fits. He sheds blocks with his length. Um, he uh, easily sets the edge. Uh, he can flatten. And what I mean by that is when he's getting around the outside of the tackle, on that hip, he can just come down completely flat and close with strength and balance. He's got good change of direction for his size. And uh, it's funny, Everson Griffin was a guy I was a lot higher on in the draft when he came out than most people went later than he should have. Still at 32 years old, I, I've talked about in the past and on the show with ESPN Houston how uh, the Texans after the draft, if they don't get that defensive line presence, edge presence that they want, they could go give a one-year deal to an Everson Griffin, who's 32, still playing at a high level. The reason I say all that, Jonathan Garvin is uh, very comparable to Everson Griffin. And to get him at this age with that type of 36-inch vertical at 6'4", 263, 34-inch arms, and that skill set, uh, if I'm a Texans fan and you're saying, hey, Jason Braddock's too high on Jonathan Garvin, Cool. That's the best news you can have, because if he's available in the fifth or sixth round or seventh round and the Texans can get him there and other people are low down as low on him there. I think you're getting a second round talent on day three. And then that's just a home run. Yeah, And a couple of guys you're probably lower on again, just on the inverse is uh, Curtis Weaver at Boise. Um, and as well as uh, guys like uh, Khalid Karima and Notre Dame and Kenny Wilkes, you've got them sort of sixth, seventh 
round picks. Um, you've got Curtis Weaver down as a fifth pick. You just not see the athleticism there from those guys that, that would warrant that selection? Or what do you think of those? Yeah, Kenny Wilfs, let's start there because he's almost similar uh, size as the other guys we mentioned. 6'3", 264, same almost identical size to those Florida guys we're talking about. Biggest concern for me, 31 and 1-inch arms. These are short. These are short arms. These are defensive tackle, 6'1", 6'2", 305 pounds in the middle going against short-arm offensive uh, guards. Well, this is a guy who's going to have Barely 31-inch arms on the outside going against offensive tackles with 34, 35, and sometimes even 36-inch arms. It's going to be hard for him to get in this body, and it's not just off the numbers. When I say stuff like that, realize I'm comparing that with what I see on tape. And on tape with Kenny Wilkes, I have a seventh-round grade on him, and I have a sixth-round grade if he moves to a 4-3 outside linebacker instead of just a pure edge presence. He was eaten up by offensive tackles. And I, again, I think he needs to move to 4-3 outside linebacker. Now, another one of the guys you mentioned that I was down on, I think you said uh, Khalid Kareem, right? Yeah, yeah, from Notre Dame. Yeah, long, combative arms, sheds with long arms. I got a six-round grade on him, similar size to those other guys, 6'4", 268. Arm length is not an issue with him, 34 and 3'8-inch arms, but he doesn't give much as a pass rusher. He uses his arms well to disengage versus the run. Typically, if you're a stud against the run, you'll see over the last 10-plus years I've been evaluating draft prospects, I'll hear about all these guys. Oh, man, we got them late first round. We got them early second round. And these guys end up going off the board fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. It's a passing league. It's a passing league now. It's all about stopping the pass. Uh, you're not drafting guys high no matter how great they are against the run. DJ Reader, Houston Texan free agents, just got paid a ton of money. I had a second-round grade on DJ Reader when he came out, and that's back when I was still overvaluing run stuffers. And uh, DJ Reader didn't go off the draft until the fourth round, and now he just got paid big time by the Cincinnati Bengals in free agency. Khalid Kareem is going to go in that fifth, sixth-round area. It is my belief that that's where he should be because he's not a dominant pass rusher. Yeah, because you saw uh, Charles Amenehu talking about that this week, that his bit of advice for any prospects was don't read mock drafts because you won't go where you think you will. And uh, he, said he, he said he held a, dra a draft party on the Friday night expecting to go either the second or the third round. And obviously it was probably, I would have not wanted to be there when, when, the, when the night closed and he wasn't there. I remember the interview that he gave and he couldn't believe he was a fifth round pick. So yeah, it just depends, you know, what you're looking for, your scheme fit and, yep. uh, and where these guys can go, you know, where these guys can necessarily go. Um, obviously, the Texas perennially, I think, ever since let AJ Boy go, uh, the the kid from Wake Forest, Kevin Johnson, didn't work yep. out for them. They've been chasing their tail at that position to get it right. Obviously, we touched on the Brock Connolly and re-signed Roby. Um, Lonnie Johnson, he looks, he's sending all the right signals out. He's doing a lot of work this off season, uh, but you can never have enough guys at that position. Uh, is there a couple of guys again on SportsMap.com? Check it out, Jason. You outlined a couple of guys. Uh, I'll let you pronounce the names of the kid from Iowa and the kid from Auburn. Cameron Dantzler was the other one uh, that, that you'd named. Do you want to talk through them and what you see uh, as potential value and fit for the Texans on those guys? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll probably 
not do them a benefit on their name as well. I haven't heard it enough at this point. But the guy from Auburn, um, and just let you know the disconnect on this, Gil Brandt had him as his 80th overall prospect. That's a huge difference from where I have him. I have him as the number two cornerback in this draft. He's from Auburn. His name's Noah. Oh, man, excuse me for this, Noah, but Igabinagene, I'm not sure exactly how to say the name, but I will tell you this. He can play inside. He can play outside. He stays in the receiver's hip pocket. He's aggressive. He mirrors. He mirrors almost to perfection, and he fights the shed shed receivers. Even though he's only 5'10", 198, your Texans typically – like to see bigger corners, uh, six one, six two, six foot at least. He's only five ten, one ninety eight, but he has four four eight speed, a thirty seven inch vertical, and his arms are almost thirty two inches long. And for a cornerback, you want to be around that thirty two inch. That's the parameters that most of these uh, NFL teams are going towards now. Over six foot with thirty two inch arms or close to it. He's thirty one and three quarter inch arms at five ten with four four eight speed. To me, he's another Janoris Jenkins type. And uh, school has been good to us as Mississippi State. Obviously, we're talking about Bernardrick McKinney going out, but Cameron Dansler. Yeah, Cameron Dansler, a uh, great tackler. He's long and wiry, so I think he gets knocked. But the reason you're not seeing him up there, I've got a second-round grade on him. As much as people in the media and draft evalu- uh, evaluators come out and say, don't pay attention to the combine, 40 time doesn't matter, it depends what you see on tape. They see a guy running the 4-6 at cornerback, they're like, he might have to move to safety. The film doesn't say that. At 6'2", 188, you'd like to see him with more weight. He runs uh, four. 46440. That's ugly. So that's two strikes against them because of the weight at only 188 at 62. Second strike, 46430. A third strike, even though he's 62, he's only got 30 inch and 58, 30 and 58 inch arms. So you've got three strikes there. Teams are going to pass over him. But once he gets into the NFL, you'll never talk about his 40 time again. You're not going to talk about his arm length again as far as what they measure. It's going to come down to play. And this kid is a second round talent. Let everyone else pass on him. Get him in the fourth, fifth round if they're going to pass on him. He lowers his pad levels to tackles. He has surprising edge bend as a rusher. So at 6'2", 188, you can put him on a cornerback blitz and he comes off that corner almost like an outside linebacker. It's another added element that uh, someone like Anthony Weaver could benefit from. But the guy I'm absolutely in love with. Most people have him on day three of the draft, fifth, sixth, seventh round. I have a first round grade on him. 6'1", 200 pounds, 4'4", 36 36-inch vertical, 32 and one-quarter inch arms. He's comfortable in off coverage. He's comfortable in zone coverage. He's got over 32-inch arms to press on the line. He's got good change of direction. He doesn't overreact to jukes. He's a form wrap-up tackler, and he has loose hips. Love everything about this kid game. Is he polished? No. But that's why you draft the guy to develop him. Uh, back in the old days, there was a guy who scouted for some of the biggest names in NFL coaching history. And what he told me about five, six years ago is that we would come to one of these coaches and he would tell me, uh, what I need you to do is tell me what a guy can do. 
I don't care what he can't do. Tell me what he can do. And then my job is to coach him up and teach him everything he can. This guy has every bit of skill set, size, speed, athleticism, coverage ability that you want. Whatever team drafts him, if they've got the right secondary coach and the right, you know, it doesn't even have to be the right defensive scheme because he can play in any of them. This kid is going to be the steal of the draft. This is the guy that if there's one person I would like to see the Texans draft, if I'm a Texans fan, it's Michael, another guy I'm going to screw up his name, Michael Ojemudie. And, man, you're probably going to get this guy on day three of the draft, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, and you have the te- uh, the potential to turn him in into a first-round return on investment. Yeah, it's funny because if you remember the – the uh, the safety that the um the name escapes me now the safety I think it was Yukon uh, that the Raiders took high he was one of Obi, those prospects Obu uh, Obi yeah that's the one and I think the Texans were kind of rumored to be kind of sniffing around him yep. if he dro- dropped them just as they were with uh, Keanu Neal just as they were with um, well it's it's similar to uh, Byron Jones Byron yeah. Jones like his film go back and watch Byron Jones college film. He wasn't a great prospect, but the, he was drafted based off of just pure athleticism and having the skill set to develop. And we just saw how he broke the bank in free agency. Yeah, well, I think he still broke the record for the long jump, didn't he? The combine that was mm-hmm. what got, got, got his name out there, wasn't it? So, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think yeah, corner's a funny one because you can, you know, you can, the true lockdown guys are. You know, there's not many, and you have to be right at the top of the draft to get them. But I, I'm glad you said that because there is one lockdown corner in this draft, and I rarely throw this out. The kid from Ohio State to me is the number one prospect in the draft. This is this kid reminds me of Champ Bailey, and I don't throw that out there lightly. This guy does everything well, it comes to him so easy. I love Jeff Acudia uh, out of Ohio State, and I would actually – I know everybody loves Chase Young, and I like him too. I think he's a top-five prospect. I don't think he's on the same level as the cornerback, his own teammate. Yeah, because you saw that rumor out there this week. I think it was fed in – I think it was Peter King put it in his, in his column, uh, and it was about – that he said that 40% of the teams uh, are, are rumoured to have C.G. Henderson above Akuda, but watching Akuda's film is pretty spectacular last year. He was, he was, uh, he's got all this, all the skills and all the attributes you want to see from a guy in that position. But interesting, yeah. The Texas hopefully can find a solution at that. I think staying on the defense, Jason. We touched on uh, Ross Blacklock from TCU. Um, is there any other guys you know that, that the Texans can add? Because I think you've got Brandon Dunn come back. Back on a deal this year, you've got you know um, you got Angelo Blackston on that deal, which was still a bit of a surprise. And despite a couple of uh, blocked field goals, he's not really lived up to what they've paid him. And you, you know Timmy Jernigan comes in injury history, so I, I think they'll be hard pressed not to walk out this draft uh, with an interior guy. Is there any guys that you think in the middle rounds that can come in and you know at least be be a space eater and, and potentially have some upside uh, to rush the passer? Uh, Neville Gallimore, I've been looking at defensive line uh, last couple of days. Uh, Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma, he's probably going to be there in the uh, second round if the Texans want to take him. I think he makes a lot of sense and, and fits with the Texans as well. Uh, still doing some more work over the next nine days, uh, diving into this defensive line group. Uh, the 
the the value of this draft, cornerback and wide receiver, when you look at edge and defensive line, there there's several guys there, but um I don't think it's an overwhelming class. So the Texans may, if they're just going based off of need and where the depth is in the draft, they may have to just wait on cornerback and may have to wait on wide receiver because if you're wanting the the talented defensive lineman or the talented edge player, I think you're definitely going to have to make your selection on those guys by the second or third round. I think it's really thin after that, and then it becomes beauties in the eye of the beholder. Uh, a lot of people love the Auburn kid, Derek. Brown. I've seen him. Daniel Jeremiah had him as the second prospect in the draft. Blew my mind. Um, Gil Brandt had him as the sixth prospect in the draft. I don't think the guy's trash, but I've got a second round grade on him. And that is night and day away from a top six prospect, especially a number two prospect in the draft. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I just don't see, I think you're falling in love with uh, some of the measurements and the skill sets there and the tapes not matching up with it. Similar to, you remember when Greg Robinson came out, everybody had Greg Robinson as the number one tackle in the draft. And everyone said, he's going to the Rams with the number two pick. And I told him, uh, he, I said, he's barely in my top five tackles. He's number five. And I said, if he goes number two to the Rams, he'll be Jason Smith 2.0, a tackle that came out of Baylor selected by the Rams. I want to say second overall as well. And it was just an absolute bust. Well, Greg Robertson has been a bust in two different ways. He was a bust as the number two draft prospect. And he got busted a month ago, what? carrying 300 pounds of weed or however much it was across state lines and everything. So, uh, and in that draft, I'm like, give me Taylor Lewan, give me Zach Martin, give me Joe Batonio. And a lot of people uh, hadn't heard Joe Batonio's name before the third round at that point. And all of these guys were all pro and uh, <clears throat> all pro. And what's the, the all-star game is slipping my mind now. Uh, even if they didn't make all pro, they made the pro bowl. There you yeah, go. Pro bowl, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And so and all of them found accolades rather quickly. Then. And then my fourth was Jake Matthews ahead, Greg Robinson. So just because there's this national groupthink consensus on prospects doesn't always make us right. A lot of people fall in love, even though they say they don't. They fall in love with the 40 time. And I think that's what's happening with C.J. Henderson. Uh, you talked about some people having him over Jeff Okuda, and I think that's insane. Uh, C.J. Henderson, I've got a second round grade on him, and my comp for him is Bradley Roby. So uh, Texans fans should be very familiar with him. And Bradley Roby never lived up to his hype as a first round pick. Uh, he's good corner, but I don't think anybody's uh, confusing him for a great corner. And, and I think that's what C.J. Henderson is. You ran a, he ran a 4.3940. Same thing with Henry Ruggs running a 4.2740 or whatever uh, his 40 time was. Uh, he, people fall in love with him wide receivers. They've got talent. Speed is great, but those guys need to be drafted in the second round. They're not first round talents. Oh, but I mentioned the Auburn guy. I got a little long winded. And the reason I brought up Derek Brown, I don't even like him as the best defensive lineman from Auburn. Give me the guy Marlon Davidson. And that's a guy who's probably going to be available there in the third round, even though I've got a second round grade on him. He's another guy there in the third round that could make sense for the Texans. Yeah, we touched on him quite a bit previously, and I think as well Jordan Elliott's a guy that we've touched on. What do you think, Elliott? You think he's he's got the potential as a sort of maybe third, fourth round pick? 
Oh, you know, it's a great question. But as far as Jordan Elliott, uh, I've gotten behind a lot this year where I'm not as far uh, as I've done in recent years. Jordan Elliott is one of those guys that's kind of fallen through the gaps. And uh, I'll be studying uh, over the next nine days, but I haven't got to his film study yet. Sure. And you t- we touched on a bit of O-line there. I think there's always consistent sort of discussion about bringing another guard. I think for, for me, I think it's difficult because I, as I've been sort of going back through the film, uh, from from last year, and I, I, I got in a Twitter exchange with a guy who's who was uh, wanted to kind of question how many of the the forty four sacks of were on Watson last year. So started pouring through the film a bit, but I think what 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 I noticed was, and everybody keeps talking about guard, but actually I think what the Texans need is a, is is somebody else a backup at tackle because the play drop for Chris Clark, Rod Johnson when Titus Howard went out um, was just was you know it, it's clear on the tape that. That there's a big fall off there, so I think before guard, if you've already got Manson House, you got Fulton for another year and and a year after this, potentially I think you want to be looking at a guy who can come in, and it's not easy to find a swing tackle in the draft later on, but I think that needs to be needs to be a consideration at some point. What do you think, Jason? Uh, yeah, I, I I I love the how much they've made the changes on the offensive line. I love the direction where it's going, and I think the biggest need on the offensive line is right guard. Uh, you've got your bookend tackles with Tunsil and Titus. You've got your left guard with Max Sharping, you drafted last year in the second round, and you got your center Nick Martin that you've uh, secured for the future. That right guard position, I, I'm still uh, shocked that Zach Fulton's still on the roster. You have zero dead money if you cut them and you save $7 million in salary cap. You've got to pay Tunsil. You've got to pay Desha- uh, Deshaun Watson. And you have uh, other moves you still need to make, in my opinion, at, even after the draft. And so Zach Fulton wouldn't be on this roster for me after the draft. And I think you select an offensive guard and you schedule him as your day one starter if he has the skill set. The guy that sticks out to me, uh, Gil Brandt has him as the 120th overall prospect. Uh, I'm a little bit higher on him, but if you can get him there in the third round, schedule him to uh, start immediately with Senio Calamente and Greg Manson's backup, it makes all the sense in the world to me to save that $7 million by moving on for Fulton and drafting a guy like John Simpson out of Clemson to play that right guard position. And John Simpson's played a lot of games, and he's played them at a high level for, for the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, Houston, Houston. I've got an affinity for for Clemson products, so hopefully, you know, I think you're probably right. I th- my my concern, I think, is the is the turnover on the line, and you want to keep the the continuity of the of the starting five in there, and potentially that that's played a role. But yeah, you're right. I think in Fulton, but I think probably before going into last season, Fulton was probably considered the the top talent on on the line, and obviously Zach Martin somehow woke up when he got that when he got that check cut, and he's he's. His his uh his tape was was much better than what it had been the previous two years. So, um, you never. Well, quite the know thing for it. me with what the thing for me, uh, giving Nick Martin that contract at center kills Zach Fulton's value because that Fulton's best position, in my opinion, is center. And if they didn't re up uh, Nick Martin and give him that contract, then I kick Z- uh, Zach Fulton inside the center, and then I let uh, Kelamente or Mance play that right guard spot. But with Martin already having that contract, he's locked in at that center for the future. Seven million dollars to be your backup center and starting right guard is a lot of money for a guy who's not playing that right guard position at a high level. And for whatever reason, 
when the Texans bring in these talented offensive linemen from Kansas City, they do a lot better job in Kansas City than they do in Houston because Jeff Allen and Zach Fulton uh, have been complete letdowns when they came over in free agency. But you talk about the backup tackles. I actually like Roger Johnson. I um, <clears throat> I think he's your swing tackle going into the season. If you want to draft a guy later for the future, absolutely. I think Roger only got, what, a one-year deal uh, after they – uh, turned down his uh, tender in him. He came back on a one-year deal. The problem with Roger Johnson, he's still developing. I mean, he took such a huge leap from the year before to last year. He's still developing. Will take another leap. The pro- the biggest problem with Roger Johnson, Bill O'Brien. Uh, they kept messing with him last year. They kept throwing Chris Clark in there, rotating the two. And Roderick was uh, a more serviceable backup tackle, uh, swing tackle than Chris Clark to me. But he trusted Chris Clark better because of his veteran play and he wouldn't have the, the slip-ups here and there. So they wanted something a little bit more sure-handed. Uh, Chris Clark wouldn't be back, in my opinion. Roger Johnson would be the swing tackle. And uh Bill needs to quit messing with these young kids and messing with their heads and put them in the doghouses. Yeah, I think I, I like Roderick Johnson. I just always go back to the only game probably where he got the full the full start um, was was in Indianapolis, wasn't it? And he, he just sort of overset quite a few times. Um, kind of got his hips to the sidelines, and all of a sudden it was against Justin Houston, and there's only one <laughs> only one winner at that point when you when you when you don't get your base right in the, in pass protection. But but talking about potentially saving another seven million, I saw you tweeted out potentially about Tashawn Gibson at safety. I've said that for well all of last season. I, I felt when you they let Kareem Jackson go, they let uh, Tyron Matthew walk. The, the level of overall safety play, particularly Justin Reed, wasn't wasn't fully healthy all year, lost a lot of trouble with his shoulder. Um, the, potentially that's a position that you could, it looks like a good safety class this year, I think from 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 certainly from a depth point of view, a couple of smaller schools guys up, up, up the top of the draft um, as well. Is there any kind of safety prospects you'd be high on, Jason, that you think worth a look at to start building for the future and maybe even a starter comes, you know, a midpoint of 2020? You know, one of the most frustrating things for me at this point of just something that just makes sense of need, fit, um, chemistry, everything, is when Justin Reed went to the Texans and said, hey, my brother's available on the market. You know you could get him at a good value deal. Makes all the sense of the world to have Justin Reed and Eric Reed, gift horses looking you dead in the mouth. And at this point, the Texans saying uh, they're not looking to make a significant move. I don't think that's a significant move. I don't think you're paying Eric Reed a ton of money. I think uh, putting him back there with his brother is just, uh, you're not just doing it because his brother, he's a damn good safety. And now you put them back there with their brother in the same secondary. That's instant chemistry. Justin Reed talked about studying film uh, with his brother, Eric Reed, all the time when he was already in the NFL and Justin was still coming up the ranks. Uh, To me, there's two moves I'd like to see the Texans make after the draft. Sign Eric Reed, sign Everson Griffin. You feel you plug two big holes with some vet guys, and I think they're both great locker room guys and, and fit in immediately with this Texans locker room. Yeah, I think you're right. If we can't we can't find the, those players in the draft, it's an interesting time because you've got a lot of teams want to hold off because they don't want to mess with the, the compensatory picks, um, and, right. and they need to wait till that till that. Till, till that uh, deadline passes, but then also you've got a lot of guys who are subject to free agency. Uh, no, no more infamous than Jadavian Clowney. And I think we were talking. I was on another podcast the other week saying 
you think got to think Buzz Cooks did him a bit of a disservice by turning that deal down from the Texans because it's more than what he's been offered this off season in the climate where he can't take medicals. But you've you've seen contracts cancelled. Do you think there's a possibility that some co- contracts and free uh, free agent deals get pulled after the draft based on the fact they're not 100% finalised, only agreed in principle? Oh, it's a great point. And we've already seen that happen a couple of times where some deals have fallen through. Uh, Michael Brockers was one. Um, oh, there's another big one out there. Uh, yeah, but there's been a couple different deals that have been pulled already that's fallen through because of the, the state of everything's in. So, yeah, I would expect uh, another two or three deals to to not stay the course. Uh, they're either falling through or some changes being made to the deal. And I expect the Texans, um, because you look at the lack of draft capital, if they're not a, if they don't trade a Bernardrick McKinney, if they don't trade back from 40, they don't have the draft capital to fill all their holes they need for 2020. And when I say fill all their holes for 2020, I think you just look and the proof's in the pudding that the Texans are all in on 2020. You know, when you when you make the trades to to ship Tunsil, when you're trading picks, a uh, second round pick for Brandon Cooks instead of drafting a wide receiver in the deepest wide, what some people call him the deepest wide receiver draft ever. You're trading a wide receiver, a rookie for cheap pay when you have to pay your franchise left tackle and franchise quarterback. You're trading that to pay $20 million the next two years for a 26-year-old wide receiver that's got five concussions. That means you need that player this year. You can't have a rookie. Uh, you traded first round pick. We started at the beginning of the podcast. First round pick, Laramie Tunsil. Second round pick, Brandon Cooks. Third round pick, Garyon Conley. Fourth round pick, David Johnson. Fifth, I mean, sixth round pick, Keon Carlson. Uh, Duke Johnson was also a third round pick. So he's He's got all his chips, and to use a poker phrase, he's all in. He shoved all his chips to the middle. He understands all the backlash from the Clowney trade, all the backlash from the Hopkins trade, the backlash from the Cooks trade, and he knows the only way to shut up the critics is to win this year and win big. It's, uh, he needs to make it to the AFC Championship. He can't just keep saying, hey, we won the AFC South four out of five times because all that equates to is that you were better than three teams in the NFL, the Tennessee Titans, Indianapolis Colts, and Jacksonville Jaguars. That's not good enough. You can keep floating banners and pushing it up there, but at some point, you have to get to something significant, not even the Super Bowl. Get to the AFC Championship. Bill O'Brien always loves the talk that – uh, oh, I've won this many AFC championships, won four out of the last five years. Well, the other thing Bill O'Brien never mentions and the Texans don't mention since Bill O'Brien became head coach in 2014, there's only one team from the AFC South that has failed to make the AFC championship, and that's the Houston Texans. Even the Jaguars made it with Bortles. Uh, the Titans made it with Tannehill, and obviously the Colts made it with Luck. Yeah, I think if they were going to have a chance... 24 to 0 on the road up. And I think that could have been a, in many franchises, that probably would have been a point of change initiated by blowing a lead like that. But uh, there you go. I think he's, he's here to stay and he's doing it his way. And he's going out, he's going to have to go out with a bang, I think, one way or the other. Um, and uh, we've just got to buckle up, really, I think, and see where, see where it takes us. I think it's possibly predictable where it takes us. But. Uh, We'll wait and see. Um, obviously, the Texans, Jason, just to wrap it up, night one, uh, no picks for the Texans. You got any pr- big predictions or any any uh, permutations that you think might might happen on night one? Uh, I think not, not as far as night one. Um, I'll say this. I think 
that this will this draft when we look back in three to four years is going to be one of the wildest drafts as far as people there's going to be players that teams are completely sold on and with not being able to gather information on so many other prospects they'll they i could see a lot of trades i could see a lot of people moving up to get the guys that they want that they feel the most confident in and a lot of other people trading back because they say hey i want to throw as many darts as the board at the board as possible because we have more questions this year than any year in the past the other thing I would say is that uh, if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals and somebody's offering three first-round picks for Joe Burrow, I'm taking the offer. Uh, you've got even – there's other quarterbacks you can get this year, other capable quarterbacks you can roll the dice with. And if you can get three first-round picks, if those quarterbacks don't turn out to be anything, then you're in line for the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence next year. And so I'm absolutely, if I'm the Bengals and somebody's offering me three first round picks, I'm actually making the trade. Uh, I have questions with Joe Burrow. If how would he do in a system that's not ran by Joe Brady? Uh, I got questions with Tua with the hip. Justin Herbert, I don't think is as great as everybody's making it out to be. I think he's got concerns. Jordan Love, uh, his developmental prospects, people will fall in love with some of the Patrick Mahomes-S types throws and plays he makes, but he's not on that plane that Pat Mahomes is. Uh, he's probably closer to, a, to a Colin Kaepernick, but somebody's going to fall in love with him and probably go in the first round. So if it's me, I'm the Cincinnati Bengals with the number one pick. I shock everyone and I trade it for any team that's offering me three first round picks. Yeah, I think you're right. I think when you watched the bad film of, of Burrow, uh, not not so long ago, it wasn't that good. So, um, you know, I think there is always a risk in everything, isn't there? And uh, the draft, and that's, you know, part of Bill's theory, I think, is trading, you know, possible hits 50% and less success rate for, for guys that he knows can come in and contribute now. And he knows that he's probably not got too many more years left unless he reaches the heights that you talked about there. Um, Jason, so I think you know we're all we're all looking forward to the draft and a, and a wider concept as well to bring some uh, normalcy t- to our lives. But also, I think the, the Texans need it in a big way to turn the page on the Hopkins trade, which I think we'll still possibly be talking about for a couple of years unless you know something goes awry with any medicals that we touched on earlier. But um, but Jason, um, thank you very much for your time. Always an absolute pleasure to have you on. Great take on the draft there. And uh, where are you going to be watching uh, night one? Are you got any um, any traditions? Or are you going to be working? Usually, I just go over uh, to my brother's house and, and watch all of the drafts because uh, he follows it close, like I do as well. And we love to kind of just brainstorm back and forth as everything, look at different angles. But this year, we're still speaking with ESPN Houston, deciding if we're going to uh, be live. Late Hits comes on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Fridays from 7 to 10 o'clock at night. So that'd be prime for uh, the NFL draft on Thursday and Friday next week. So we're trying to decide if we're going to cover some national coverage for ESPN with the draft or if we're going to uh, host Late Hits those two nights. So it's still up in the air right now, but I'm good either way. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jason, as I said, thanks very much for your time. Hope everybody out there uh, is staying safe and uh, following all the guidelines we need to do to get through this. But as I said, a week away from the draft and uh, we're looking forward to it. Jason, thanks again for your time, mate. Hey, it's a pleasure as always. Thanks for having me on. Y'all take care of uh, on that side of the uh, hemisphere. We'll take care on this side and we'll get back to some normalcy, like you said. Yeah. Speak soon, Jason. Thanks again. Take care, brother.